On the Record with Gavin Riley. Brought to you by PwC on News Talk. Pretty varied front pages, I think, today on the front pages of the newspapers. Uh, the Irish Mail on Sunday is where we'll start this morning. State to buy build to rent developments, um, reports John Lee, group political editor. The government plans to build, t- uh, b- to buy rather, tens of thousands of build to rent apartments earmarked for cuckoo funds to bid its flagging, or to boost rather, its flagging social and affordable housing targets. The significant shift in the coalition's housing approach comes amid growing concerns over rapidly changing economic forecasts and housing completion projects. Ministers this week admitted that external economic factors are seriously threatening the government's promise to build 30,000 homes a year over the next decade. Market trends indicate growing bank conservatism and the economic and political chaos in the UK allied to the threat of recession are dissuading investment funds from investing in apartment blocks. In a memo brought to Cabinet last month, Dara O'Brien called for the government to step in and purchase planned apartment blocks that were to be built for financial institutions to invest in. A Cabinet source said last night, between 50,000 and 70,000 apartments or duplexes are not moving now because of stalled finance. So the suggestion is that the state is going to step in and make sure that those developments take, go ahead, but that the state would be the ultimate owner of those properties rather than the built rent sector, which ultimately means still, of course, that there's probably likely to be slightly less housing development um, over the coming years, but the state at least would be responsible uh, for a larger share of the pie. Um, front page of the Sunday Times this morning, blast experts get more time on the Creechla site. Gardaí investigating the deaths of 10 people at the explosion at Creaseland County, Donegal, have obtained a high court order to preserve the scene of the tragedy. The aim is to give experts more time to try and establish what caused the blast, which affected the flat and the adjoining Apple Green service station and shop. The order was granted by Justice Paul McDermott on Friday afternoon, a week after the explosion, after an application by the Chief State Solicitor on behalf of Garda Síochána. It's the first injunction of its kind sought by the force. The order, the date of which may be extended, prohibits any party from accessing the ruins of the flat or service station for 14 days while Gardaí and experts uh, consultants search for evidence. It prohibits any interference with the scene. The inquiry into the explosion is likely to continue for several months because of its complex nature and the logistical difficulties in retrieving items of evidential value from the ruins of the flat and garage which remain in a dangerous state. Uh, Also on the front page of the Sunday Times today, an Irish woman who was allegedly raped by the prime suspect in the disappearance of Madeleine McCann says that she hopes that the missing girl's parents will finally get the answers and justice that they deserve. Uh, Hazel Bean, who was 39, was working at a, as a holiday rep in Praia de Rocha in Algarve in Portugal in 2004 when she was viciously assaulted and raped for several hours in her flat. Christian Bruckner, the 45-year-old German, was last week charged with the attack along with four other sexual offences involving women and children between 2000 and 2017. Two years ago, he was named by prosecutors in Portugal and Germany as an official suspect in the disappearance of Madeleine McCann, who was three years old at the time in 2007. Front page of the Sunday Independent. No plans to give a second booster to the under 50s, says Stephen Donnelly. There are no plans to give people under 50 a second booster vaccine this winter, as Stephen Donnelly expects a normal Christmas without any public health restrictions. Stephen Donnelly tells the Sunday Independent that although a mask mandate is not being considered, everyone using public transport should wear a face covering amid a rise in COVID-19 cases and hospitalisations, which number more than 400. When asked about the possibility of severe public health restrictions being introduced this winter, the minister said, there's no expectation that we will. I have no advice to that effect. There's been no discussion about it and there's no expectation that it's going to happen. He says we're in a fundamentally different space compared to the winters of 2020 and 2021. Uh, this follows a memo that he brought to Cabinet this week which outlined the prospect of booster vaccines being rolled out in a speedy manner uh, should the public health advice change. But what he is emphasising in the Sunday Independent today is that the public health advice has not uh, changed as it stands right now. 
and also the front page of Sunday Independent the players who secured the first World Cup qualification from an Ireland women's soccer team are in line for a bonus of up to €300,000 to be split among the squad an agreement was made last year by the FAI with the team about what sort of prize money players could expect for reaching uh, World Cup 2023 the association has declined to comment but football sources indicate that women can expect in the region of 20-25% to 25% of the prize money to be gained by the FAI which is somewhere in the region of €1.2 million Euro. Uh, and finally for now and this is where we'll start when we go to our newspaper panel in just a moment uh, the Sunday Business Post which tells us uh, among other things uh, that senior government ministers are being asked to intervene to protect jobs at Intel's Irish operations in the coming days amid fears of cuts at the leak slip plant the Business Post has learned of concerns within government that workers in Kildare could be included in a reported plan to trip thousands of jobs from Intel's global operations uh, but the lead story by the Business Post today and similar reporting um, inside the other papers we should say is that the government has reassured the construction industry that the controversial concrete block levy will be postponed or adjusted after claims that it could delay the delivery of new homes. A building industry source said that they had received assurances that the government will be going back to the drawing board on the levy and that it will not appear in the finance bill in its current form at the very least. On this, as it happens, I was at a media event on Friday afternoon uh, with Taoiseach Micheál Martin, who is speaking again, by the way, inside the next uh, hour and a bit. So maybe we might hear from him again uh, before the end of the programme. But he was speaking to reporters in Galway on Friday including myself about the structure of the concrete block levy and here's what he said by way of sticking by the levy but also indicating that there may be some changes on the way It's a contribution uh, Gavin it's not it's not going to meet the costs um, and uh, we've, we've identified any, anywhere between 4.5 billion to 6 billion between all three schemes uh, no, it remains to be seen some of that revenue some of that expenditure isn't happening immediately uh, at the scale uh, so that's one factor uh, we're also very conscious of the, the fact that this was agreed in November prior to the war. Uh, at the time we had approved Mike, since then we had a war in Ukraine, we've had huge increases in, in, in energy prices uh, and increases in commodities in respect of the construction industry also. Um, and so you know, we have to balance this. So Michael Martin outlining that this levy was signed off in principle by the coalition last November before war in Ukraine, which has contributed contributed to rampant construction uh, inflation and therefore there might be some reason to, to uh, reconsider it. All of that, by the way, in response to a question from me about whether this was really a political hill worth dying on when the levy is due to bring in 80 million euro and that's a contribution to potentially 6 billion euro uh, in government spending. Uh, we're joined in studio to discuss that and more by journalist and author Valerie Cox and by Philip Ryan, who's the political editor at Independent Newspapers. Um, Philip, do you get in your spidey senses that there's a bit of a government climb down coming on this or that it's not going to take the same form as we heard in the budget three weeks ago? Yeah, I think definitely there's going to be some sort of change here. And there's talks of delays, there's talk of reducing the rate. There, it, it's it's unusual, I, I think, to see because the, the government would have seen like, look, here's a levy on the construction industry. Who's going to be feeling sorry for the construction industry? It's 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 not the type of uh, sector that, you know, it's all obviously makes a lot of money and mm-hmm. um, was involved in the financial crisis. Um, but it, it's the knock-on consequences of this that is the problem. That um, this idea and like the, the expert groups, the RSI, etc., have said that this levy will be shouldered by people buying houses. It won't be the, the construction mm. industry won't go. Okay, fair enough. We'll 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 pay for that mm. extra ten percent. Well, it's, it's, it isn't anything ultimately anyway that you tried to penalise any sector. It's ultimately going to come back on its customers. So there was also talk. You know, why doesn't the government pursue the quarries who supplied defective yeah. blocks in some instances? Although that's not the case for for every element of all of this. But ultimately, any levy that's going to impact on any part of the construction centre is going to be passed on this to people and we've buying seen, We've houses. seen it with pensions as well and things like that. Everything gets passed on. But 
at the other side of this thing and doesn't get debated too much and you brought it up there that the, the micro redress scheme and the various other redress schemes are going to cost between four and six billion euros mm. and that is a huge amount of money and someone has to pay for that and it's not going to be mm. the construction but, it, but if the government is happy to find other tax revenues or to borrow to cover the rest of a six billion scheme then is it really worth the political hill to die on of having a levy which might only bring in 80 million but also materially impacts the cost of building a house at a time when we really need that to happen at scale well well, that, that that's the thing that they're going to have to weigh up and that's the problem that they have at the moment but at the same time, that's a huge figure. And like, okay, 80 million is not a, not a, uh, is a drop in the ocean when you're talking about 6 billion. But there needs to be, it needs to be, I think for the political outlook of it and the political optics of it, when, when you are introducing something like this, a redress for a scheme that, that is impacting on hundreds and hundreds of houses in Donegal and elsewhere, mm. is that everybody should be contributing. It shouldn't be just left at the people in other counties, people, um, paying their taxes every every week and every month when they, they get, uh, get their income, to get their pay slips, that they are felt that they're the ones that are shouldering the burden for mm. all these schemes. Um, usually, Valerie Cox, when a government would uh, reform a, a plan like this, that it would be seen as uh, almost something that a government would be embarrassed about, that it's a bit of a climb down. Yeah. I suspect if this is a climb down coming, that it's the sort of climb down that everyone welcomes and heralds and no one gives mm. the government too much stick for. Well, I don't think everybody will welcome it. I think, you know, all of those victims out there, and I remember about uh, six years ago going out and visiting some of those homes at that stage and the sheer frustration and the sadness of people who have got every last penny together to build their own family home mm. and then discover it's falling apart. And I mean, I stood in rooms where the cracks were literally coming down the walls and all their lovely decorations and children's toys and everything. So I think these people must be totally, totally frustrated at this stage. But it just shows us what a powerful lobby the building lobby is. And then they come in with the threat. And of course, they say mm. it's going to add 2,000 to 4,000 to the cost of every home. Mm. And, you know, do you really want that to happen? But are, so, are they wrong? Um, they're not wrong. But I think the building... Um, the uh, builders, the de- the development industry, I think they certainly should be absorbing some of the cost. I mean, this happened among their grouping. And now, you know, they're totally rolling back on this. And this comes, of course, um, uh, before the announcement of the finance bill on Thursday. Yeah. But we're saying it's going to be postponed or adjusted. And the developers are also saying, and this is quite interesting in the light of the other story there, um, that the discharge could delay building projects apart from Increasing yeah. the, uh, the the cost of their ho- the cost of their homes. Now, have, have they explained that? Because obviously, increasing the cost of building is one thing, but why it would delay a significant project would be harder for a lot of people they to understand. Didn't say, they didn't explain that bit. These are hmm. these are really just threats that are coming out, and the government is caving in. They're stepping down. They're changing it. The construction and, industry knows it's an emotive issue, yeah. and they know where to target it. And they are. They've been doing this years. They're they're good at it. And it, it is extraordinary that we're all feeling sorry that they might have to pay a little yeah. extra. And so no sympathy from you then that they might be rolling really, over or no, doing something? No, like this is the same people like that speculated and speculated and, and took massive loans off Anglo and everybody else mm. to build apartments and build houses and then just left ghost states scattered around the but, country. It's the same people. But if, if MICA and Pyrite and uh, restoring defective apartment blocks is going to cost in the region of €6 billion Euro, and the levy was only going to bring in €80 million anyway, it's mm. like an eighth of 1%. Um, then, if the public is, if, but if the public is on the hook for ninety nine <laughs> and seven eighths percent of the rest of the cost, then does, too does much it, maths for radio. Does it really? <laughs> uh, so, sorry, uh, this hour of a Sunday morning probably millions, yes. should, should, should be given. Put, but for, right, oh, right, put it this way, right? Yeah. For every eight hundred euro 
that the government would spend on remediation for MICA, for pyrite or for defective apartments. The rest of the public would be covering through tax through the Exchequer €799. Euro. Mm. Only one euro was going to come through this mm. levy and that's a levy which is ultimately going to be shouldered by people who are paying for a new property anyway. Mm. So if the public is already covering 799 and the, the one other euro is the bit that's going to break the camel's back when it mm. comes to building housing... Why bother doing? But is it going to break the camel's back? This is the thing we're being told it is, and it's it's very hard to get bricks in and and whatever other materials that they need. And yeah, look, that that that's the case. Everything is expensive these days. It's not, you know, your bills are expensive, your food is expensive, everywhere you go, things are more expensive. So. Why is the construction industry the one that doesn't seem to have to deal with any more increased costs? Mm. Uh, reasonable point. Um, Valerie, there's quite a lot written across uh, the papers today about um, not just the block levy, but about a wide variety of other housing topics. Anything that jumped out for you this morning? Yeah, Dermot Bannon kind of annoyed me in the Sunday Independent <laughs> this morning. Um, <laughs> Dermot Bannon annoying anyone is, is unusual, given how, how beloved he is. Sunday yeah. well, yeah. apparently the star architect. <laughs> there's been um, a study in terms of the green space per head of population in Europe. And okay. we've come in number three in that. And, you know... He so, w- sorry, number three. So that means that we have the most... or, or oh, We're the among, mo- oh, the, most. among no, the people with the three. most green space. France and somebody else is ahead of us. Okay. But, you know, for him to say that um, and then say success for Irish people still means a house and a big garden. Hmm. Well, you know... What's wrong with wanting a big garden? But where he's making his mistake is it's not success. It's just having a comfortable lifestyle, a nice place where you can bring up a few kids mm. in the garden. And he's wrong on that one. You know, he's ch- he's charming. He's putting houses and homes mm. in terms of success. And that's the wrong thing to do. I have so, no garden. You've no, you've <laughs> no garden. Enough. No. Um, well, in the yard. Well, some I, like, I, have, I have two small kids and I kind of like the idea of maybe having a garden for them to sort of get a bit of exercise mm. or somewhere safe that they could sort of run around. But I, 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 I would sort of agree with you that I, I don't know if it should be seen as this kind of my horror societal aspiration that it should just seem like a fairly yeah. fairly run-of-the-mill thing that if, if you've got a couple of kids that you'd like to have it. Uh, this is in an interview, by the way, with Neve Horan on page five of the Sunday Independent. And Dermot Bannon says, among other things, that it's our biggest shame that we have so few people living within 20 minutes walking distance of the city centre. He puts that down to outdated urban planning and the fact that Irish people are still holding on to the field mentality where people equate their vision of outward success with owning a big back garden and lots of space around their home. This attitude just doesn't exist elsewhere, Bannon said. The most expensive places to live in London are Belgravia and Notting Hill, but there's no gardens there. But in Ireland, there's always been this attitude where more success means your plot is bigger, your garden is bigger, your house is bigger. In Europe, it's about the facilities and the parks that you live close to. Now, I, I don't disagree that it's that there should be a lot more focus about the facilities and the parks you live close to. But I'd be fairly sure, Philip, that the most expensive parts of Dublin are, mm. are uh, a lot of like terraced townhouses in yeah. in, in, in inner, south inner city or areas that are close to it, uh, well, which don't really have big gardens to speak of. Well, I, I live eight minutes from the Phoenix Park so I must be very successful <laughs> judging by Dermot Bannett's uh, <laughs> he's got the biggest <laughs> garden yeah. in Europe you and Michael yeah. D walking around he's walking the dogs but yeah it, it depends it depends on in what you're looking for and it depends on like you say your family situation though if you're if you have young kids if you if you have um, you know it's natural that you'd want a back garden you don't want them running around out on the road where they're going to get knocked down by a car do you mm. so it depends on your family situation I think a lot of people are happy to live in apartments like you say when you're if you go to New York, like who who has, an, who has a garden in New York and it's one of the most 
thriving cities mm. in the world. Uh, there will come a point, he says, when big houses with lots of outside space will go past their sell-by state in, in suburban Dublin, Bannon said. Uh, mm. that That's a gamble on the property market so that'll be interesting yeah. to see coming to fruit. Um, I'd love to see that, he says. We could buy them and then start introducing denser areas closer to the city. We might look at areas of Dublin over the next 30 years where we can buy up houses and redevelop Dublin, but it's going to take a lot of political will. Uh, not everyone will agree, he says, but if you can take a tiny bit off everyone's gardens and put it back into public spaces that everyone can use, then a city becomes a great place to live in, um, which is an interesting kind of a, like a socialist idea for, <laughs> in, in a manner of speaking, um, for someone who makes his living out of property development. But um, I, it strikes me as somewhat fanciful, Valerie, the idea that you would have a state that decides to, to buy up a lot of uh, large housing and then just like snip off bits of people's gardens to, to use for public good. Yeah, but privately we're doing that already. I mean, just watch the property pages. So many large houses with big gardens. As soon as they go on the market, they're bought up and the next thing you see the cranes in um, you know, building mm. in the gardens and, you know, building the main house back in, in, mm. into apartments as well. I mean, mm. it's happening all over Dublin. So, you know, it's not exactly something innovative. It's happening mm. already. Yeah. Uh, it strikes me something that they're already doing in some parts of Dublin anyway with the, the contentious parts of Bus Connect where they wanted to widen streets to make uh, more dedicated bus lanes and that was going to involve taking shavings off some people's gardens and that, that pretty much mm. uh, became very emotive. Uh, Timmy and Killarney te- text in by the way to say the people who say you don't need a back garden uh, and then there's those who already have one. Uh, so yeah, maybe a lot of people who say that they, they, they need them are the ones that already have them. Um, Philip, just before we go to a break uh, what do you make of that story in the front page of the, the Mail on Sunday that story from John Lee about how um, the state is now so concerned about a lot of built rent developments uh, not happening that the state rather is just going to step in and be the the funder of those yeah it's a it's an interesting development and a positive one i think if if it does go ahead if there is that if there is that gap that they say is there that they can actually just go in and they're not going to be competing with a vulture fund or a cuckoo fund or whatever you want to mm. call them um to, to get them but i think the the, the politics behind that story um, especially in the accompanying story yeah. about Radcliffe. Yeah, well, well I wanted to ask you about yeah. that because there was a similar piece yesterday in the Irish Independent as well. That's it, and, and uh, Hugh O'Connell has a piece today, a follow-up piece today in the Sunday Independent, which it is very interesting. The Fine Gael now seem to be setting out their stall essentially um, as the Tornish returns to the Taoiseach's office that they will be overhauling this uh, their housing for all plan with a whole range of different ideas. There, there's a few mentioned here. They're talking about greater actions to ensure people aged in their 20s and 30s have a chance to own their own home, changes to income limits to make government schemes more accessible for working families, move to speed up the release of land held by public bodies and improvements to the planning process. Mm. And yesterday in the, the Irish Independent they were yeah. talking about reducing VAT on building materials. They were talking about um, making social housing more mm. accessible to people on, on uh, higher incomes. And it, it's mm. th- this is just Fine Gael doing it on that, their own. That's just, just, just Fine Gael doing it all by themselves <laughs> when they take over again because they clearly yeah. haven't, haven't had any yeah. ability to do any of that for the yeah. last uh, yeah. 11 years already. Mm-hmm. Um, but, I mean, I'm old enough to remember when Fine Gael were getting very upset by the idea that housing and who was going to run housing was already predetermined after the reshuffle. Mm. And the reason I say I'm old enough to remember it is because it was two weeks ago. Yeah, yeah. Do you remember when, when uh, Micheál yeah, Martin, Martin appeared to suggest it, yeah. that Dara O'Brien wouldn't be reshuffled out and Fine Gael were huffing and puffing going, that's outrageous, mm. we haven't discussed who's going to get which brief. Evidently, they, they do now think they know which brief they're going to get because you wouldn't be... Or, or am I too cynical? Would you well, would you be publishing a housing plan knowing that you can't implement it in two, great, in two months' uh, time? Government source quote here for, or a, I presume a Fine Gael source quote. I do love is, a good uh, government source. Leo Vradker is nakedly is it. Is a nakedly political leader, but that won't stop him doing some good. <laughs> Whatever the motives behind it, we all believe that Leo will bring vigor 
to housing yeah. working with Dara that well, being Dara well your, your, your deputy political editor is making the point today in the Sunday Independent that there's lots of Fianna Fáil pushback to this idea yeah. that, that Fine Gael are suddenly going to be empowered to, to achieve a lot of this stuff given and, that they have and ha- I think the point the a lot of them are making is well lads you had 10 years mm. um, why do you all of a sudden yeah. think mm. you can sh- fix it now but you know I mean you know all of this because you're at the political eye all the time mm. but don't you think there's a lot of ministers at the moment who are making a pitch to stay on I mean, you know, Stephen Donnelly later. And they're all saying, you know, I'm doing such a good idea, such a good job, but I have these massive plans for the future. Mm. I won't give you details, but I'm going to do them. Yeah, this is it. Um, I I can't believe that it's taken this long, but I think I'm about to read the first ever text that's been sent into this programme with the word woke. Uh, and I, I can't believe that it's, it's October 2022 uh, and that it's finally taken this long from, for my listeners to, to reach that level. But <laughs> Woke Bannon mustn't be spending much time these days at his massive North Dublin home and expansive gardens with outdoor bath, says one uh, anonymous texter. Uh, <laughs> funny that. Um, someone else says, uh, every single piece of social society research shows the same thing, that we thrive better in small groupings, not city living. Dense living is not how we best survive, says that texter. And Kieran and Cork says, don't worry too much about what Dermot Bannon thinks. He's just trying to line up his next talking point for when he goes in the Late Late Show for the 15th time this year. Um, it is worth bearing in mind that uh, at the bottom of that interview uh, with Neve Horn on page 5 of the Sunday Independent it does say in nice italicised print that Dermot Bannon's Incredible Homes will be shown tonight at 9.30 uh, on RTE1 ah. and on the RTE player. In case you're wondering uh, why it might have been that Dermot Bannon was making himself available to the press, Jill texts in to say that it isn't just children who should have the right to have their own back garden. Older and old people also have the right to that from which they benefit highly in terms of gardening, sunshine and rest etc. Um, there's that whole thing about gardening is medicine which is something that I've never really uh, got my my head around uh, I just don't have the, the green fingers for it but uh, to each their own um, there is a fair amount written in today's papers uh, on the comments sections across the various Sunday press about uh, not only the success of the Women's World Cup or the women's soccer team in, in qualifying for the World Cup in Australia and New Zealand next year but also in um, that one moment and we should stress that it was only an isolated moment um, in the middle of a very elongated celebration uh, in their dressing room afterwards where they were singing along to Celtic Symphony by the Wolf Tones and found themselves chanting the words Ooh, ah, up the ra. Uh, a fair amount written as I said across all of today's comment pages um, Valerie where would you like to start? Um, I think first of all it was a huge contradiction because Amber Barrett when she scored she knelt down she kissed her black armband mm-hmm. in deference to Crisla and so on and then we had this other and you know there's been a lot of talk about who released it and how did it get into social media mm. well, I mean there were cameramen in the room anyway yeah. so we don't know who did well, that it was, also, it was unwittingly live streamed by one of the players themselves absolutely. so it didn't take that, that long for it to get out into the public so, system yeah you know, people are saying we shouldn't have heard about it at all. But yes, we should, because if that's what what happens in this situation, it's it was appalling. It really was. I mean, I'm of a generation who grew up through the troubles. I'm of a generation who didn't go north unless you have to. And then when I joined RTE, I was sent north and I covered many of these things. So none of that came into the thinking of these young girls. They were just looking back at it, as you said earlier, a little bit like the uh, Michael Collins era. We look back now, you know, we mm. deify people from that era. I mean, w- when the Michael Collins film was being made even, it, busloads of people turned up as extras, as volunteers. They weren't paid and they turned up and they said, mm. we're here for Michael. Well, yeah, we, we, should, that's we, the mindset. we should explain what Valerie means there. We were just kind of discussing this during the break and I was b- making the argument or, or just making the observation that I think that the, the further into history the troubles goes and, and the fewer first-hand memories that there are of it in society... I think 
people of a certain generation, and I count myself among that generation, will find it hard to understand why the official history of Ireland lionises a certain generation of Irish Republican Army and then chooses to disregard another. Now, that's not to say that the uh, the more recent actions of the IRA were defensible in many ways. Of course, in, in so many different ways, they weren't defensible. They're responsible for some awful atrocities. And it's absolutely right for people to be offended by a- any mention or any glorification of them. But I think for a generation that didn't experience that firsthand, I think, among many other re- things, uh, and we might get into them in a few minutes, Philip, but mm. I-, I think that they do find it difficult to understand why the state every Easter celebrates the actions of one Irish Republican army that was ultimately unsuccessful Mm. um, while in the same breath then criticising a different generation of Irish Republican army for things that weren't. I think one of the big differences now obviously I didn't live through the 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 years of the 1916 rising or things like that but I certainly lived through some of the years of the the IRA's terror campaign and a lot of the incidences and a lot of the um, attacks that they they carried out there was no dis- no regard given to like children being involved, mm-hmm. innocent citizens, whether they were Catholic, Protestant. They didn't care. They blew up buildings with. They didn't always target RUC bases. They they targeted buildings on mainland England where people were just going around their business. They targeted, um, like even I always think of the 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 Lord Mountbatten one, mm-hmm. where they were out on the boat. There was two fifteen year olds on the boat. One was just a local Irish boy. Blew up the boat anyway because the the greater picture was to to hit member of the royal family. So it's just I don't know that back in 1916, 19 and the War of Independence and mm. and those times was it as malicious and um, targeted at civilians as that. Yeah, because well, like uh, well, some of those incidents, I just think are deplorable. That mm. you you think that murdering an innocent child who there's no involvement in in politics in 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 British army strategy that 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 somehow is going to make your point. Mm. And I always thought that it's stomach turning that that type of thing is celebrated. Well, do you think that then that Personally. that is what is ultimately being celebrated in a Wolf Tone song, which is talking oh. about graffiti outside Celtic Park in Glasgow, and it's being mentioned for a few seconds in a very long playlist in a women's soccer dressing room? No, not at all. I, th- I, th- I don't think there's any thought given to any of those type of incidents when people are singing that and I, they're not the only people who've done that I think there was a video was that from Dublin Airport last night that yeah. was doing the rounds on mm-hmm. social media yeah. people chanting it as well there's um, every county final it's probably chanted mm-hmm. out around the country it's just something people do uh, but it's not like they're two, sitting two, I, I don't two think different versions of the same Wolf Tone song have been at numbers one and two well, in the iTunes go, yeah. music charts this week as a result of this is people wanting to explore that a little bit more yeah I, I don't think I don't think these people the people chanting it are going to IRA commemorations. I don't think they're, you know, walking around with Easter lilies on them mm. themselves every five minutes. So I, I think it's a different thing. It's just a song to them. Yeah. It's just a chant. Uh, and as, as regards people that are in today's or things that are in today's papers, uh, Valerie, anything that jumps out for you? Because like I said, there's a few written across the, the Mail on Sunday, Sunday Times, uh, Sunday Independent. Yeah. Anything jumped out for you? Yeah, particularly Brenda Power in the Sunday Times, because she said what the girls did, it just reveals an ignorance of the past. But she did say that it was a tribal celebration, um, quote, revelling in its whiff of illicitness without any real cognizance of its menace. And I think that really sums it up. It was an easy to say. Somebody started singing it. It was easy to sing. They weren't thinking about it, really. Mm. But she does say, you know, that maybe as has been suggested by several commentators, that some education is needed 
so that people really grasp this. Um, I mean, the English, there's been a lot of uh, commentary this week about how Mm. the English are ignorant of their side of history as well and their role Mm. in history. And the example has been given loads of times and again with Brenda, that Oliver Cromwell is still standing outside the House of Commons. Mm. So, you know... Don't forget the last time this was chanted and and it made news was by uh, Sinn Féin TD for Waterford, David Cullen, and after the last election... Um, well, <laughs> well uh, yeah, well, and it was kind of f- funny then that there was there was a kind of an, almost an institutional response among Sinn Féin to say you don't do that and that's mm. not the sort of thing that we celebrate. Um, somebody, by the way, um, Benny uh, has been in touch on Twitter and says that where was this discussion when Leinster Rugby sang this exact song? It should be discussed, he said, but let's not make out that it's all about the girls. Um, I have to admit that I, I wasn't aware of a suggestion that this had been sung by Leinster Rugby or by its supporters, but I certainly know that it does um, get sung in quite a lot of different contexts. And I mean, mm. the Wolf Tone song specifically, as well as the um, as as well as the specific chant of, of people um, endorsing the Ra. Um, that Brenda Power piece is on page sixteen of the Sunday Times. Philip, anything that jumped out for you? Commentary about yeah, this? I was looking at Eilish uh, O'Hanlon's piece in the Sunday Independent, where she. She quotes, I, I think it would have been online because uh, Danny Morrison, a former uh, IRA man come Sinn Féin um, member and supporter who spends an awful lot of time on Twitter, um, he, he tweeted out, um, he, his response was that the, the Updara chant has now entered the mainstream lexicon as a mantra for booking established authority, expressing rebellion and in a separate sense as a visual expression of triumph over misfortune. <laughs> Which is quite yeah, poetic. That, Look at saying, yeah. um, yeah. strikes me as a, a as a little bit of a reach, but yeah. but at the same time, I, I think that this this is going to sound like it's venturing into the realms of of making apology because I, again, uh, some of what uh, the more modern day IRA were responsible for is completely indefensible, and you'd even have many people who were involved in the campaign or political representatives or apologists who would find it very difficult to apologise for or endorse some elements of what the IRA did. But I think you sort of have to remember that they were listening to a Wolf Tone song and this is an Irish national team that have just achieved something that no Irish national team had ever done before them. Mm. And I think that them listening to a soundtrack of uh, Irish music or of patriotic songs is not all that unthinkable. And if elements of that are distasteful, that's fair enough. But uh, again, I sort of feel like people are are making out the squad to be a bunch of IRA or paramilitary apologists. No, when, no, when but like, like I just said, I don't, I don't think that would be the case. I can't see them yeah. all. Although Jer Colleran in the mail takes it quite seriously and he says um, they, they scored an own goal, he said, a howler, but it does uh, strike a shadow over community relations in the north and that's at grassroots level. Such behaviour there speaks very loudly indeed and the damage there is is impossible. Mm. It's impossible to measure. So he's quite serious yeah. about it. Uh, I think that there's also an aspect, uh, I think Una Malali was writing about this in the Irish Times uh, during the week as well, that a to a certain degree, and this is a bit immature and I'm kind of a little uncomfortable with it being the case, but to a large degree, the extent uh, often this country defines itself by not being Britain and, and that's a very live issue of course north of the border where where they genuinely do define themselves to a large extent as, as not being Britain and um, therefore up the Ra becomes a very handy cliched lazy insensitive but it's a kind of a way of expressing a certain amount of 
um, Anglophobia and therefore Hibernophilia and what, what they aren't we are and I think it's kind of become repurposed but very insensitively um, a few people texting in let's get FIFA to ban oh text it just scrolled off my screen uh, oh there's so many texts are coming in that it's just bumped off my screen uh, that text said let's get FIFA to ban Iran from the World Cup and to make sure that England boycott their game what about the poppy snowflakes uh, we've had woken snowflakes in a couple of minutes God, the texts are really on form today uh, someone else says they never should have apologised but doubled down uh, someone else says I continue to despise the provisional IRA and all of their affiliates but the genesis of the Ra chant as it pertains to Irish football is ooh ah Paul McGrath uh, Sinn Féin also use it I think that's got the story back to front I think yes. ooh ah Paul McGrath was yeah, derived yeah, from, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. from the line of the wolf tones um, we They're are so immature ooh, ah, Vera. Uh, well that would have been a useful uh, repurposing of it too <laughs> Barry in Dublin says we're so immature and childish as a nation ooh ah up the Ra for Christ's sake stop singing that rubbish when you hit adulthood yet we defend the players again our immaturity shows someone else says political correctness gone mad they don't have to apologise to anybody and I served through the Troubles border duties Port Leash prison cash courts and on and on I was in Port Leash when uh, Lord Mountbatten's killer was arrested and brought to the prison says Joe former generations believed that holy God could see everything they did nowadays that function has been taken over by the internet says Kevin in Old Town Brian says the provisional IRA campaign had no connection to the Collins era completely and fundamentally different that you even have to ask what the difference is is astounding uh, says Brian in response to my observation that people find it difficult sometimes to distinguish the two it's only an observation I'm making about others Brian I'm not saying I agree with it myself the Wolf Tone song celebrates the, cele- celebrates the Celtic support for the Provos fans singing it is completely different to a national team chanting it finally they apologise unequivocally move on says Brian uh, and Aaron says something similar for goodness sake give it a rest the media are blowing what the women's football team sang to celebrate their success out of promotion it was just a song to them news talk and other news shows in the newspapers are going on and on and on about it give it a rest says Aaron so indeed we will and we will talk about well congrats uh, to the team well, congrats to the team a cracker of a goal by Amber uh, uh, well just the, the, the poise with which that finish was pulled off because yeah. like uh, a lot of other people in, in similar one-on-one they'd be like blast it Imagine she's like no 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 Thierry Henry <laughs> do not mention Thierry Henry <laughs> in my presence uh, and good luck to them they deserve every bit of uh, a 300,000 euro bonus that they might be getting as, as Mark's high course in the Sunday Independent uh, and good luck to them and we will all be rooting for them and we will long have forgotten the scenes in the dressing room I suspect by the time the World Cup comes around next summer um, there's a lot written across today's papers about energy uh, and about how uh, to a certain degree how um, energy bills that the help from energy bills has helped to drive up the government's approval rating um, also a fascinating thing and Philip I, I wonder if you're among this generation on page 8 of the Sunday Times we're told that the onesie is making a comeback because people are, are now embracing the onesie and the slanket as they try to keep themselves warm at home no I don't have a onesie or a sl- I don't even know what a slanket is um, you don't know what a slanket is no a slanket is a blanket with sleeves so you can wear the blanket around the place but or if you're sitting on They're the like couch baby you can goes, have, aren't they yeah to, yeah to a certain extent yes no, I've, grown a, a, I've grown a beard a, instead a slanket enthusiast <laughs> Valerie not remotely not remotely I think it's a horrible thing and did you ever see a man in one of these baby grows no I mean there's something <laughs> awful about yeah. it yeah well you know I, I watched Strictly Come Dancing so I saw, saw a little bit of it last weekend where <laughs> the, the guy who got kicked out was effectively like a wearing a giant rabbit or something yeah. isn't it um, but it is a, a not to, to make too too light a topic of it though because a, a lot of people Valerie and this is sort of detailed in the papers today a lot of people are, are now taking to slightly unorthodox means yeah. of keeping themselves warm because they they're are. so worried about the cost of central heating in their yeah. houses and you know something the older generation 
um, who don't maybe all have a lot of money to pay for all the heating they want and so on. There are thousands of older people at the moment terribly concerned about this and they're doing things like going to bed early, hot water bottles all over the place, afraid to turn on the heating and we should not be living in a society that is putting older people under that kind of pressure, scaring Mm. them that they cannot afford to heat or they're trying to choose between food and heat and people will just dismiss that but it is true and I mean I am in touch with organisations who Mm. are bringing back this evidence and it's the most awful thing I think we can do going into a cold nasty winter to Mm. frighten older people so therefore the government grant uh, for the electricity Absolutely excellent, great idea. But I think there's still a great element of fear there and people don't know how they're going to cope. Yeah, Philip? Yeah, and look, I sure know myself that I've been putting off and putting off, turning on the heating. Uh, so far, I've got, I think I only did one uh, day so far. Oh, uh, Only one day for you, you haven't been turned so on? Far, yeah. Yesterday I was close to it, but I decided not to. But, there's, uh, <laughs> but, like, but there is that. Like, so it's yeah. across the generations as well. Obviously, impacts on older yeah. people a little bit more because they um, are, are more vulnerable to, to, to colds and things like that. And, and as well as that, when you see what this, uh, we might get to it, the twindemic of various flu and COVID and, and all sorts of things that are coming in, um, people are going to be less likely to... You know, want to be want to be more protected from mm-hmm. from those type of things. So they're going to need a little bit of that comfort. Uh, somebody has sent in a uh, a clip from a, uh, a celebration from the Leinster rugby team in 2019, where Leinster held on to beat the Glasgow Warriors uh, by 18 points to 15. And there was a video of uh, the Leinster players singing Celtic Symphony uh, on their flight back to Dublin Airport. Uh, again, I think lauding something that they'd achieved in Glasgow. Um, whether they got as far as the line about the graffiti outside Celtic Park and what it says about the Republican Army, uh, I don't know. Uh, John and Tom are among two people who've texted in to point out the differences between what the IRA was doing, being at war with the state in the 70s, 80s and 90s versus what the IRA did as the official army of the revolution in 1919. Yes, th- there is that nuance. I'm not saying that nuance doesn't exist, but I'm just saying that a lot of people, particularly of younger generations, would be forgiven maybe for not grasping it because sometimes it's it's perceived as being very different in certain circumstances. Uh, plenty more in the papers, which we'll get to with Philip and uh, Valerie after this. Somebody texts in 53106 to say they had a party last night in Kilkenny with t-shirts with the slogan Ooh, ah, up them na, uh, which sort of rhymes with the Ra thing I suppose if you pronounce your, your Gwelga with a certain accent but there you go it's another slogan being repurposed and Aideen who um, they say never ask a woman her age but she identifies herself as being 62 years old and she says that she'd like to know why younger generations can't find a young person song rather than old fogey boring ballads to sing Aideen uh, evidently has not seen the other footage uh, going around of the Irish women's soccer team uh, celebrating their qualification for the World Cup by singing Love Story by Taylor Swift um, which I'll be honest not my bag, but each their own. Uh, Philip Ryan and Valerie Cox um, still with me in studio and an awful lot written um, in today's papers about the threat or not the threat of COVID and the HSE winter plan. Valerie, you were saying um, off air that some of what Stephen Donnelly says is disgraceful. It is disgraceful. Um, Which parts? Well, first of all, there is a major interview with him with Hugh O'Connell, the deputy political editor in the Sunday Independent this morning. Your able deputy, yes. And um, Stephen Donnelly says there will be no second booster for the under 50s. Um, He expects a normal Christmas insofar as anyone can tell. Well, hello, Stephen, you are the Minister (laughs) for Health. And then he goes on and he says there is no mask mandate, Mm. but people should be using their their masks on public transport. Yes, that that has been the advice ever since. Yeah, but there's new ads on masks coming our way, which I think is a, a, a terrible waste of money. And then he says, well, 
become the, the vaccine, we're in a different space now to 2000 and 2001. And then he goes on to criticise David Cullinan, who, of course, is the Sinn Féin health spokesperson. Yes. Mm. Um, and he says, you know, he has no plan. But David Cullinan is not the minister. Stephen Donnelly is the minister. And then he went on to say he wanted to roll out a national network of elective um, surgical day centres. Mm. He was referencing one in Tallow that's yeah. been very successful. But he said he's not quite sure where the money will come from. He has <laughs> not spoken to the public expenditure minister, mm. Michael McGrath, but I'm confident it can be found. Like, it's really yeah. a Trussian viewpoint it, here, it, you it know? Can be fair. So we're, we're what? We're a week or two after the budget. We're, how far are we after the budget? Are we two weeks? Well, man, how much budget you thought about it? The actual, actual budget, budget, budget was, two, was last week. Yeah, so, yeah, so we're, we're, yeah. we're two and a half weeks after the budget, and he's openly saying, Oh, I'm sure yeah. we'll find the money for that. Yeah, but I mean, it's, it's quite ridiculous. And then he yeah. talked about the junior doctors emigrating, and this really got worse. He said, You know, a lot has happened, and um, he's not. He, he, one of the things that has happened is that in Limerick um, Hospital, they are now providing hot food and lockers for the junior doctors. <laughs> now, come on. I mean, that is something you read. <laughs> in a comic luxurious uh, <laughs> well there is this other great quote in it about his uh, his want for to do an, a new Covid campaign around the masks yeah. and he says what I said to him this is talking to the HSE I believe what I said to them is in the same way that the menopause campaign is catchy and challenging and thought provoking can we do something similar on Covid so that's, that's kind of sad. Yeah. Uh, but, but, sorry, what, you, you, you said in the course of your opening uh, comments about Stephen Donnelly that it would be a waste of money for the state to pursue another uh, campaign advising people to yeah. wear masks in public transport or healthcare. Why would that we be a shouldn't waste be of... advising people. If we want people to wear masks, we tell them to wear them as we did before and people and, complied. And we require them to do but so. I mean, ads suggesting maybe you'd like to wear a nice little yeah. mask. I mean, that's ridiculous. I don't think people are going to wear the mask. Like, uh, you see it on the Lewis that there's... No one's wearing them. It's just so, but you, you don't... You, I think people, a lot of people are being um, very sensible though. I've got an invitation to a birthday party in a couple of weeks' time and we've all been asked to do an antigen test on the day. But what really annoys me about Stephen is the way he steps back as though he's not minister. And, you know, it mm. came up about... Of course, people, well, he may not be minister by the time it comes to implementing well, any of this. There's a reshuffle in two months. He was talking about the 1,000 bonus that was supposed to be pay, paid to healthcare staff. And it's not being paid to a lot of people. And he said, he's not happy. I would love to be able to give that guarantee, but I'm not rolling out the programme. Well, he's not. The, the Department of Public Expenditure is rolling out the programme. Yes, but I mean, as Minister for Health, he has a huge impact in it. He has, mm. a, I mean, he can just say, do this say, and they uh, do it. Stephen Donnelly might struggle to get uh, Valerie's vote and go out the next election. <laughs> <laughs> well, of course, uh, Valerie, for the record, of course, did contest a general election against Stephen and, and yeah, several yeah. other people. But uh, they didn't uh, vote for me. It, well, yeah. in, in, in the 2020 general election. And he also said, by the way, that he wants to remain Minister yeah. um, after the reshuffle in December. Man wishes to hold on to job after job just, transitions. Uh, just on the elective surgery, Thing. That, yeah. that is something that has been flagged for a while though I remember that's going back to at least Simon Harris anyway that um, that they have suggested that the, one of the solutions to the waiting problems is to set up these elective surgery only yeah. it, it does mm. make a lot of sense mm-hmm. if the money is there to do it and you have that you don't have people waiting around and, yeah. and competing with other people who have more um, uh you know, emergency, emergency are, are stuff urgently needed doing. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, well, if you're wondering where the money might be gotten from, there is a piece on page three of the Business Post today by Daniel Murray who says that less than half 
of the 300 mil- 350 million euro funding pot for the waiting list action plan has been spent this year. Um, that 150 million of the funding was allocated to the National Treatment Purchase Fund, 200 million directly to the HSE. To date, only 60 million out of the 150 that was allocated to the National Treatment Purchase Fund has actually been drawn down, and 67 million of the 200 allocated to the waiting list action plan has been drawn down. The HSE expects to spend in total 132 million euro by the end of the year, which is barely a third of the amount that had been set aside. So, I mean, I guess that's a budget there that could be drawn down for elective hospitals, or at least you can start to work on it. Um, you said, by the by, that you, you were criticising Stephen Donnelly for saying that he wasn't going to roll out a second booster to under 50s uh, by the end of the year um, well, surely he only ha- he has to act in concert with the advice that he gets from NIAC yeah but it was, it's just the reasons he gives that really annoy me he didn't say that what he actually said was that hardly anybody else in Europe is doing it so we're not doing it either mm. uh, well what he did to, in a memo that he brought to cabinet this week and I was awarding this myself in Virgin Media News during the week uh, there was a memo in which he outlined the prospect that if the advice were to change or if the situation was to deteriorate that it would be possible to not only scale up testing and tracing back to levels that it previously was at but that you could also roll out a second booster to mm. every member of the adult population that the, was eligible to it so the plans are there even if they're not planning to plan to use them the one thing I think that we've all learned from COVID um, all the experts and just general mm. public is like, it's very unpredictable the whole thing and th- there were so many times uh, there was a time when Stephen Donnelly would say one thing and then by the end of the week he'd have to change it and do something else mm. whether it be restrictions whether it be the vaccines things like that things move quite fast when it comes to it especially if we have a new variant um, I think there's uh, but the public out there especially those who are happy to take vaccines and there's the vast, vast majority of the Irish public are mm. that it, you kind of almost want it as a reinsurance to get yourself through the winter, so mm. you're not kind of struggling and coughing. Because there's a lot of people who got COVID and it was fine over in a three or four days, but there's a lot yeah. of people who got it and they were proper wiped out. Yeah, by the thing, and, and the suggestion that that Omicron caused you a mild illness, and for a lot of people who mm. got it, including people in my household in the mm. last uh, six or seven months, but far, far from mild for them. And then there's yeah. long COVID as well. Yeah, um, and then there's all the people who died from it. Mm. Mm. Um, just I know I'm catching on the hop this, Philip. We've got about thirty seconds left. What do you make of the reports of the government pursuing potentially an evictions ban over the winter? That seems like a sort of a Damascene conversion. By yeah, the there seems to be a lot of talk about this. That if if they are going to do something, it's going to come in between probably next month and March for a few months. Um, it's it's. I think the problem is, or the issue is for the Attorney General and the legality of doing such a thing is you have to find some sort of emergency um, you know, reason for doing mm. it, just like they did with COVID. So the, the, I presume they just hang it off the, the fact that they're going to have such a uh, high energy bills and all that type of cost of living crisis yeah. issue. And it looks like it'll be done as well in tandem with some other issues, with some more incentives, possibly for landlords, whether that be tax or tax incentives or something the, else. The same incentives that they couldn't come up with for the budget. This two and the half I think it was flagged that they were looking at some other things for landlords too, but uh, that, 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 that's basically what they're right. looking at. Uh, we will leave it there. Philip Ryan, political editor at Independent Newspapers and journalist and author Valerie Cox thank you both very much for coming in On the Record with Gavin Riley, Sunday morning at 11 Brought to you by PwC Great minds think unalike Different skill sets diverse opinions it all adds up to the new equation On News Talk